not easy for me to live my life being who I am, keeping secrets. Clark, hey, welcome back. Yeah. I see you've already met the munchkin. Hello. Yeah, well, you've been gone. Fearless reporter Lois Lane is a mommy. But if you ask me, she's still in love with you know who. How could you leave us like that? I moved on, so did the rest of us. The world doesn't need a savior. I need the twice. You wrote that the world doesn't need a savior. But every day I hear people crying for one. Lex Luthor. This is kind of a little reunion, isn't it? Heck, I'm a fan. I'll have advanced technology. Thousands of years beyond what anyone could throw at me. But millions of people will die. Come on, let me hear you say it just once. You're insane. No! <laughs> no, it would be other thing. Superman will run! Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 110th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Superman Returns. And to help me with this rather curious film are, on one hand, Mr. Devin Smith. Hey, Devin, how are you today? I am absolutely great. Awesome. And on the other, Mr. Greg Verob. Hey, Greg, how's life treating you today? How's I, I am so rarely invited back on any podcast I've ever done the next week. So this is a huge treat for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> we really had a great time with both of you, you know, last week. So uh, we, we figured, you know, if a team is winning, why change it? So exactly. here we are. <laughs> so, guys, today we are discussing Superman Returns from 2006, directed by Brian Singer. The screenplay was by Michael Doherty and Dan Harris. These two gentlemen co-wrote the story alongside Brian Singer, while the original score was by John Ottman, giving his interpretation of the original John Williams theme. And an estimate to put in today's money, this movie cost $277 million to make and made $532 million at the box office, which is good, but not great when you think there'd not been a Superman movie in 19 years since Superman IV, The Quest for Peace. But then again... Feelings could have possibly been tempered, tempered because of how badly that one had gone over. But that's basically what we got, folks. So let's get to first impressions here. Let's start here with you, David. What did you make of Superman Returns? I would say that this is probably one of the un most organized film ever as far as storyline purposes go. But I would say that the action is good. And like some of the jokes, and I think that some of the cast members did a fairly decent job considering what they were had to do with you know to work with. Mm. Um, and I would say that it's a film for everybody who just wants to watch a good Superman movie, mm. um, like if they're not familiar with the original movies. Um, you know, I. I that's just kind of how I feel about the film is, is it's a little bit all over the place. Well, I mean, uh, totally fair. And I mean, are you, I assume you were, f you're familiar with other Brian Singer films granted these days. We don't like to talk about Brian Singer too much, but um, were you familiar with like his X-Men films and this kind of stuff? Absolutely. Yes. Mm, right. and, and yeah, go ahead. And I was just going to say like, I even feel like some of the X-Men movies, like those were also kind of like all over the place and you had to watch them several times to kind of catch on to like everything in the movie. Mm. Yeah, it's true. I know there were folks who had some trouble with, with some of the, uh, some of the X-Men films for sure. And Greg, when it comes to you, what are your first, mm -hmm. you and your impressions on this film? Granted, you know, as I mentioned, there are, t t there is Mr. Singer as in the director's chair. And there's also a certain Kevin Spacey. We don't like to talk about too much either these days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as an aside, I, I honestly didn't know it was a, it was a coincidence after I watched Superman returns. I'm like, let me clear the palette with a comedy. I chose Horrible Bosses, which I never saw before. I had no idea he was in the movie. So I had like a, a trip because I watched the second one after. So I had a triple Kevin Spacey feature. But 
let's just talk about the work and the movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, so if you want to talk about first impressions of Superman Returns, most unfortunately, in 2006, I was very, very, a very, very busy man in 2006, so I missed it in the theaters. But all I kept hearing about was how good it was. My friends who were big Superman fans in this series, and I can only imagine being in the theater after 19 years, seeing the credits this time come the right way, (laughs) and hearing that theme song, getting ready for what is, you know, is Superman returning, the, the reboot sequel that people have been waiting for. So I can imagine that in the theater, these friends of mine who all enjoyed it so much, we're on a high from it, I would imagine. So I first saw it, unfortunately, not on the big screen, but on DVD or something. And I, my first impression, I, I didn't think I was watching the same movie they described. It was boring and abysmal, in, in my opinion. And that was the first time I watched it. Mm. I'm, and, I do. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, and then in short... All three times I saw this movie, the second time to see if I still had the same opinion, and the the latest time just this week when I told you I was in for this and I watched the movie, of course I had to watch it again to refresh my memory, uh, my first impression of the movie never changed. Boring and abysmal, but let's focus on boring. It's a boring Superman movie, in my opinion. Hmm. And and when you watched it, I actually had to ask you this. Do you consider this like the fifth chapter of the previous first four fil- uh, Superman films, or do you consider it kind of its own creature? Well, I, I think I think singers. Um, first of all, I, I, it was like reinventing the wheel. You know, I mean, maybe returning to Donner's universe. Th- this is what I understand. Brian Singer insisted upon. Like Warner Brothers said to him, make a brand new movie. He goes, no, I'm going to stick with what Richard Donner wanted. And from what I understood, this was as if Superman 3 and 4 never existed. Well, that's well and fine, if that's so. But I heard another thing is, no, these are the events after Superman 4 happened, this happened. So you could take it either way, but it certainly was meant to be in that Christopher Reeve universe. Mm, and yes. I accepted it. I, I accepted it as such, whether I enjoyed the movie or not. Mm. You know, yeah, because I think we'll probably be touching up on that because it seems like a lot of the characters do take their cue from the actors that played the characters before. So, uh, mm-hmm. so I so, and I'm sure we'll definitely get to that. And yeah, I mean, even though I know there are a couple of folks on this movie who, as I mentioned, these days we don't like to talk about much. I will yeah. say that. that <laughs> Though this film is far from perfect, I actually thought it was a decent return to form coming off of Superman 4s. Technically, I guess this is part of the Reeve canon and could be seen as the fifth and final installment in this version of Superman. Yeah. Though I would say that Singer and the writers do play fast and loose with what came before canon-wise. And I might be showing my hand here by saying that most of the performances were strong, but I will blame the writers and, yes, Mr. Singer directorially for some of the choices these characters make. And it's hard sometimes to separate the actor or the artist from the art because there are a lot of Brian Singer movies that I do enjoy, be it the X-Men films or even be it a film as, in inverted commas, obscure as Apt Pupil, for example. I mean, me being a huge Stephen King fan... I enjoyed that version of Apt Pupil. That film has problems, but I think Singer did a great job. But, you know, when you know what the man did behind the scenes and what he's technically, you know, um, accused of, you're like, eh, maybe I should distance myself from what from Brian Singer movies. But I guess yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's how it goes. So let's get to our characters on the board here then, gentlemen, starting with the Man of Steel himself, picking up the mantle from Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent's Superman. We have Brandon Ralph, who we'd actually met on this podcast in Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And of course, folks will remember him for, of course, playing the Atom in Legends of Tomorrow, amongst other things, of course. So, Greg, starting here with you, what did you make of this Superman? Okay, Brandon Routh himself and as an actor that's not an easy thing to do to 
you know, take over for someone as iconic as Christopher Reeve in this in this role. So that's number one. So with that on his shoulders, he he did the best. He, first of all, I understand this was a huge cattle call. I want to say like they saw 200 actors and they found they literally found, I would imagine, the best they possibly could because he sounds like Christopher Reeve in the vote in the voice is very similar. Um, the Clark Kent was, you know, clearly like, do your own thing, Brandon, whether that was Singer's choice or his own choice. He did his own thing, but took the cue from Christopher Reeve. And I thought Brandon Routh, for me, was one of the more respectable parts of the movie. He, um, he had big shoes to fill, and, he, and uh, you know, of course, there were some writing issues with it, especially his Clark Kent. Um, I, I, I really have no complaints about what Routh did. However, the charisma and the presence was nowhere near Christopher Reeve. I, I mean, how could you, you know, you, you can't, that's just not something you can replicate, but I give Routh credit where credit was due in this case. Well, totally fair. And and Devin, how did you feel when it came to this version of Superman coming off of such an iconic one that, that Christopher Reeve had brought us? Well, I'm going to kind of agree with Greg in the sense that they had to find somebody and they had to find somebody who looked like Christopher Reeve. So honestly, I think that they did a good job in that aspect. I do worry about the fact that he wasn't really fully into this character. He, I don't think that he was prepared to take this role on. And that's not his fault. That's the director's you know, issue. And But I do think that he did the best that he could do. True. I mean, I, I think, you know, this film, like I mentioned, I think is trying to pick up where Superman 4 left off, narratively speaking. And, and I agree with you guys. I do think that Brandon does a, a good job at playing both Clark Kent and Superman the way Christopher Reeve did, yet I think he also tries to imbue his own style into it as well, because I suppose if not, folks will be saying, you know, it's just a pale imitation of Christopher Reeve. But I, my biggest issues with this character is, one, we barely get any time between him and his mom, Martha, which not only is a huge waste of an incredible actress like Eve Marie Saint, who is a legend, and we're talking Oscar gold here, but also... Yeah. It's one of them, and not to mention, it's one of the most important relationships in Superman's life. And I do understand we had to focus on Superman having been gone for five years and trying to pick up the relationships he'd left behind, especially with Lois. But you could have spent more time between him and Martha, especially when you, you've hired Eve Marie Saint and you only have her like for two minutes in the movie. And I'm like dude, you paid for this woman and she's doing nothing. It's like, mm. I don't know, it really, really, it hurt me because I'm a huge fan of Eve Marie Saints. But other than that, why did Brian Singer turn Superman into a peeping Tom and a stalker? Oh my, <laughs> my friend said the exact same thing just the other day. Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah that again, there were choices that Singer and the writers made that, well... Maybe let's look into the psyche of Singer. <laughs> yes, it's very later. telling about the director, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you watch Manhattan by Woody Allen, you're going to get the same thing. You know? So, yeah. Yeah, that is, su Superman was a little creeping there uh, <laughs> upon his former uh, girlfriend and... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I do kind of wonder if that if that wasn't the plan, maybe because maybe that was one of uh, Brian's like sick fantasies or something. Maybe mm -hmm. maybe he wanted to dress up like Superman and spy on women. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because unfortunately, and I don't want to make this, you know, the, the, the Brian Singer hate podcast, but I did mention Apt Pupil, which folks, if you haven't watched, do watch it. But there is a particular scene which I think is very telling of Brian Singer and the way he feels about certain things, i.e. young boys in the shower, just and the camera lingering on these young boys in the shower. And I'm just going to leave it at that. As I, yeah. get, I mean, I get going back to Superman here, I get he wants to see where Lois is at and such, but 
literally spying on her and her family. Not to mention, you know, some of the rather creepy expressions that crosses his face while he's doing it. I mean, it made me feel rather uncomfortable because it's like the moment when I think they're leaving the, 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 the newspaper and Lois takes a cab and uh, she gives her address. And you see that kind of creepy expression on Clark's face going, aha, I know where you live now. So it was like, <laughs> like, dude, seriously, because. We know Superman is not a voyeur, and this was so out of character for him. I mean, yeah. I mean, I did like the concept that he feels he may probably have lost Lois for good. And in my head canon, he actually in his mind was probably gone for less time than he thought, as time has literally no meaning in space. So maybe time on Earth went by quicker than the way Superman perceived it in space. I don't know. That's my excuse, because I don't know why Superman would abandon Earth for five years, but... I mean, we don't know how many light years away Krypton is from Earth, so it's a little bit nebulous there. But these gripes aside, I mean, I think we got a serviceable Superman. I mean, this is a rather more troubled hero in getting to grips with the woman that he loved moving on and having a child, though also the identity of Jason's biological father is also rather nebulous and rather weird in this film, though you would assume he is Richard White's son, but we can speculate when it comes to who Jason's daddy is. But that's, I think we could we could definitely talk about that a little bit more. But yeah, so obviously, speaking of Lois, you can't, of course, have Superman without Lois Lane. And picking up the role of our plucky Pulitzer winner journalist from Margot Kidder is Kate Bosworth, whom my listeners might know from The Domestics, Before I Wake, and recently the Netflix series, The Island. So, Devin, starting with you, what did you make of this version of Lois Lane? I love this version of Lois Lane. Mm. Mostly because she's grown up a lot. She is not going to take anything from anybody. She's a motivated woman to try to correct her mistakes in her past. And I think Kate did a wonderful job with this role. Sure. And and Greg, coming off of from of Margot Kidder, what did you think of of Kate Bosworth here? Uh, I'm I'm differing completely on uh, Devin's opinion. I I have no idea why Kate Bosworth was cast. I I don't. I'm not commenting on her as an actress. I'm commenting on the casting choice of someone who you see. Lois Lane is very seasoned. And mm. Lois Lane has is, should have a lot of experience behind her eyes, like Margot Kidder did, and also what she's been through with Superman in these last five years. And Kate Bosworth, I just felt, was too young at the time for the role. And, um, I, I, I mean, did Bosworth, did it have anything to do with her acting? Not really, I, but I believe it was just a huge miscast. There was nothing behind her eyes i didn't believe that this was lois lane i just didn't believe her mm. yeah because i think especially if you take into mind if this is supposed to be a continuation of what we'd previously seen i know there are a lot of detractors of this film who like you greg have criticized the choice of kate as being too young and i suppose that if you do see it as a continuation to the christopher reeve superman films it doesn't jive too well when you think of Absolutely. Margot Kidder's Lois Lane, you know, because obviously Margot Kidder looks like you were saying more seasoned, more experienced. And, and I, mean, I think Kate does a good job with what she's given. But, yeah, it's like, wow, um, Lois Lane really sort of got a beauty treatment or something because she lost like how many years? It's like she's gone back to like yeah. a 30 something year old or even younger. But uh, yeah, you know, for me, uh, uh, yeah, unfortunately, the casting of Kate Bosworth was one of my bigger gripes with it. I, I would try to think of a great example. I don't know. It would uh, it, it would be like Carrot Top playing Superman. That, that's as much <laughs> sense as it made to me. It just didn't make. I mean, I, it was 2006. I mean, I don't know at the time who were big. But she was definitely an it girl at the time. And the studio probably pushed for some kind of a. It girl, ticket seller, you know, thing. But I just thought she was just so wrong for the part. Nothing I, nothing against her. Miscast. Miscast. 
I wonder if at the time you, if you had something like, say, Sally Field or something, that might have made it make more sense, maybe. But I don't know. Maybe she would have looked too old. But it's hard to say. I would, I, you know who comes to mind, and I don't know why. I, uh, I'm just throwing this out there, sure. but, but I'm, she probably would have done the same thing as Kate, Katie Holmes, mm. perhaps, who we later saw, of course, in in uh, Batman Begins. But you know, I, I just didn't believe that that this woman was a seasoned reporter with years of experience life experience like kate bosworth just was too young and just didn't know herself enough for the role of lois lane and not enough presence Mm. so it was just it's nothing to do with kate bosworth i'm sure she's a fine i don't recall seeing her in much but there was no experience behind her eyes. That's it. That's uh, maybe I'm speaking as a conceited actor. I don't know, <laughs> but it was it was not her performance. It was a miscast. That's, no, I, I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, I, I mean that that kind of gripe aside, I guess. I mean, also the thing is, though you know, Superman and Lois weren't really an item at the time. It is clear, obviously, that Lois is hurt by the fact that Superman just up and left, which. As mm-hmm. I mentioned before, is a very un-Superman thing to do, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That said, you know, while, while part of her, you know, may somewhat be pining for him, I suppose she never really sort of spared a thought for Clark. And once again, wouldn't she have put two and two together that it's no coincidence that yeah. Superman returns and the same time Clark returns? I don't know. I mean, it's uh, you if she's a Pulitzer-winning reporter, you'd think, oh, you know, isn't this weird? Yeah. The two of them yeah. come back at the yeah. same time. Not just Lois, but everybody in the damn movie, and especially when he's in the hospital bed at the end. Okay, yeah, <laughs> he's not wearing glasses, so it can't be Clark. Also, where's Clark? Why isn't he at work when Superman's in the hospital in a coma? And the whole thing about Superman being in a hospital, being treated by. Western medicine was hilarious in my mind anyway. <laughs> yeah, good point. I mean, on the, on the other hand, I guess, you know, comes to Lois, she has moved on and is apparently, you know, going to be winning this Pulitzer for writing an article on why the world doesn't need Superman, which I suppose is also maybe a reflection of how hurt she is and possibly it's Lois. It's her coping mechanism of trying to move forward with her life. And she has, as now she's in a relationship with Richard White and has a son with him, maybe. She does seem <laughs> also, she also seems, I think, pretty gung-ho about wanting to talk to Superman again. But I did love the fact that as the award-winning journalist she is, she's looking at the bigger picture also, which I did like, because she likes focusing on the blackouts and what's causing it and, and even though she kind of gets shut, she gets shut down a little bit by Perry's like, focus on Superman. That doesn't matter. But um, I did appreciate also that even when she's been captured, she does use her wits to get a fax out as to her location so she can be rescued. I'm like, wow, I can't remember the last time I ever sent a fax. But I thought that was it does date this movie a little bit. But uh, I did think it was um, it was it showed that she is she is ingenious and she does just think on her feet which i did appreciate so that was i think that was that was cool when it came to this character but other than that yeah i had a few gripes when it came to the choice of kate bosworth not necessarily like you were saying greg her the way she acted the character so let's get to lois's partner and ostensibly the father of her son we have james marsden as richard white who no surprise was did appear in the x-men films as cyclops so, Greg, starting with you, what did you make of this new character and, uh, yeah, Mr. Richard White for the first time on screen? Well, in this case, uh, for it to be Perry's m- nephew made sense. You know, that's how else would Lois meet someone because she's such a workaholic, you know, mm-hmm. than at work. Listen, I, I mean, it's a character that I could take or leave. However, my favorite scene in the movie, and to give even Kate Bosworth credit where credit is due and uh, James Marsden credit where credit is due. My favorite scene in the entire movie is that Superman's not in it. It's did you love him? Um, And, you know, Richard White, you know, really putting two and two together that, that, you know, this is, this is the love of her life. And that was a very well acted scene. And, uh, a very significant scene. Um, the character, though, as a whole, Richard, uh, 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 
didn't impress me one way or the other. Uh, he, he, she may as well have been also as just a single mother they could have worked in. But you want to give her a partner? Sure. The partner made sense. But yeah, take him or leave him. <laughs> except for my favorite scene except for my favorite scene no, and you do bring up a, a good point there with that scene because that scene is a very meaningful one while, while of course Superman is peeping Tom on the spot so. yeah, yeah he's there yeah yeah he's uh, but uh, if, of all the scenes in the movie that was, that was probably my favorite one <laughs> which I think says a lot of how you feel about this film. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. Devin, <laughs> yeah. And, and Devin, what did you make of Perry White's nephew? Oh, man, 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 man. Okay, I'm going to get into this. I'm going to have three points. Number one, we could do without the character. Um, second point, absolutely horrible acting. Um, I think a 15 year old could probably do better. <laughs> um, and the whole scene that Greg just mentioned about, did you love him? And blah, blah, blah. I could do without that too. Like, cause a Superman movie should be about action and like, not so much surrounding around the drama part of it. Like I want Superman to be beating up people. I don't really want to have it cut to like a love scene and then five minutes later like stuff starts blowing up. Like I feel like they could have just done without the entire character. She could have mm -hmm. just been a single mom and just handled that situation in a totally different direction. Well, that, that's fair. I mean, I, I thought actually this was an interesting addition to the story. I mean, to actually have an emotional threat to Superman, his love for Lois. I mean, I did like that, though he does lightly question Lois over Clark um, uh, and Superman, of course, Richard, I, I'm, of course, referring to. And she's clearly lying through her teeth when she tells him that she never loved him. I like the fact that he doesn't end up playing the jealous partner. And I'm sure there was a part of the fandom that may have hoped that by movie's end, Lois would have left Richard for Superman. But I think yeah. it may have been a little facile had that been the case. Also, though this is a clear case of nepotism, I did also like that, though it does seem that Richard has pulled a few strings to help Lois out, he doesn't abuse his power as the editor's nephew when he could, because he could be kind of like the big guy around campus, kind of, you know, my uncle owns this thing. So I'm glad he didn't do that, because he seems like a pretty likable guy. And funny enough, I mean, it, it is actually Clark who is at first more at odds with Richard than Richard is with Clark. And I do think that... Mm -hmm that by movie's end, Richard acknowledges there must have been something between Lois and Clark, or even Superman, like you were saying, Greg, but he handles it very well. So I'm glad we didn't get the jealous boyfriend on the crowds, because that was the last thing we needed in, in a film like this. It just would probably made it worse. So I'm glad, because often you do get that, that situation where you have, you know, like the, 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 the two kind of star-crossed lovers and the third, uh, third man in the whole thing who acts as the jealous one. So I'm glad we didn't get that, because yeah, Superman or Clark, you know, either one, they they're the ones who act more jealously. Like when we see him take the photo off Lois's desk and like almost break it. So you yeah. think to yourself, yeah. yeah, he's 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 not handling that one too well. So before we actually get to the dark side of the table, guys, I did have to th have to throw in this a, a question here to both of you. When it comes to the kid in the room, when it comes to Jason. What did you make of this character, and do you do you have a do you have theories on who the father actually is? And I actually want to to start this one with with the with you, Greg. What did you make of of Jason? I mean, do you think do you think you do you have an idea of who his father really is? I think it's Superman because of that speech. Um, but the thing about the kid in the movie, my friend had said it best in a in a. Uh, you know, as you can hear in this, I'm probably the one most critical of this film of the three of us this week. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, uh, my friend described to me, we were talking about The Dark Knight Rises and the twist that uh, Marion Cotier's character was the antagonist the whole time. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was really pulling all the strings. <laughs> and his his famous quote was... 
I totally didn't see that coming, but when I found out, I didn't give a shit. <laughs> and that would be Jason. Um, I mean, when I first saw it the first time, I mean, the fact that he has all this, this asthma and he can't eat anything, you know, he's half Kryptonian and half human if, it's, if it is, in fact, Superman's son. But on the other end, if he is Superman's son and he's only half, I mean, that... And it shows maybe a Kryptonian and an Earthling are not compatible. I would think he would have been showing signs of a little bit of at least superpowers, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the proof was in the pudding in the in the Kryptonite scene where you know our our antagonist and the Kryptonite, who is this boy's father? And she says Richard Richard White is his father. So I mean, I don't think there would have been that poignant or quote unquote i should say poignant final scene uh where superman is now looking over a little boy sleeping <laughs> oh, no. back to the brian singer universe and and you know and uh you know giving that final speech to him i mean i i, I would think that it's superman's son yeah i think he was superman's son i didn't I care but he was <laughs> <laughs> yeah because the last thing i guess we needed was Hello, we have Superboy, you know. So uh, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, it was it was it was a little bit odd. And Devin, what are your thoughts on uh, when it comes to Jason? Do you think that he is ostensibly Superman's uh, son? Without a hundred, yeah, with a hundred percent, absolutely. Because um, for one thing, we, if you really zoom into like the eyes in some of the scenes for Little Boy, like. I've noticed that, like, they kind of turn different colors in light. So I see that, well, no average child is going to be able to do that. So, I yeah, 100%, I guarantee that later on, they're going to do some type of a spinoff movie called Superboy or something, and there you go. Like, <laughs> I think that could end up happening. I, I suppose we could see that because also, you know, for folks who obviously are watching Titans, that's the kind of situation you have where they bring they bring back the concept, of course, of Super Superboy being half human, half Kryptonian. Granted, there it's an amalgam of Lex Luthor and Superman because obviously it's a clone created in, in a laboratory. But here, I think it was very convenient as to whose son he could be because at first you think to yourself, if Superman's gone for five years, when did they conceive this child? And secondly, the other thing that I thought was odd is it's very convenient because we find out that Jason possesses super strength in the piano scene where he obviously throws the piano from one side of the room to the other. Like, okay, so he has super strength. Is this Superman's kid? And then, you know, we we are about to get confirmation when he's putting his hand on the door to rip the door open. And obviously that doesn't happen because, uh, you know, it it stopped just before he does that. But the only thing I thought was weird is, I mean, I know where babies come from, so I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, you know, if he's gone for five years, I mean, is, does, did he make a brief stint during the course of these five years, had well, some time with, yeah. with Lois and then left? I don't know. Well, that is the the theory that, that Singer wanted it to actually be a sequel to Superman 2 and Superman 3 and 4 didn't really exist because then it took place five years after Clark and... Uh, and Lois, or Superman and Lois, were in the Fortress of Solitude, and that he could have been conceived then. He's five years old, and that's the convenience there. Um, otherwise, it's, yeah, there's this whole questionable plot hole of Richard White would then have then met her pregnant. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's really this big plot hole. It's just one giant plot hole. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I think it's very much a very convenient thing to have him have superpowers, because obviously Lois and uh, and Jason are, you know, at the mercy of Lex Luthor and his goons, and Superman's nowhere to be seen yet. So they have to do something to basically save Lois from being killed. So I suppose, like, okay, 
I know. Let's make let's give Jason super strength just for this one scene. It's going to be great. People will will be losing their minds. He's Superman's son. So maybe I guess that's what happened in the writers' room. Who knows? But uh, it is very weird. So let's get to the dark side of the table here, starting with the obligatory sidekick to our villain. In this case, we have. Parker Posey as Kitty Kowalski, whom we actually discussed on this podcast in Blade Trinity. So, uh, Devin, starting with you, what did you make of Kitty Kowalski? I actually like this character because it's another view of, like, what a female villain could be. And, like... I felt like they should have done more with this character because um, I even would say that she's more interesting than Lois Lane, honestly, in this movie. <laughs> Agreed. Um, and, like, I feel like they even should have done, like, a spinoff movie for her. Like, I mean, she's probably one of the better villains in the film. Well, and and I guess it definitely helps that Parker is, is a great actress in her own right. I mean, actually, even though Blade Trinity is pretty bad movie i think she actually did a great job in blade trinity as bad as that film can be but uh, yeah. greg you you actually you know in our previous uh, review you'd actually point out the fact that uh, lex luther loves to surround himself with sidekicks you know so and this is the obviously the latest addition to the sidekick gallery so yeah what, what did you make of kitty well, I wasn't sure whether or not, and I, I, I would only be speculating is, you know, was it going to be Miss Tessmacher? Mm. And they couldn't, because of like writer ro royalties, make her, because Miss Tessmacher, I believe, was created just for those movies. Right. Um, so that means they would have to have given a stipend of some kind to the screenwriter. So that I question whether or not she was representative of Miss Tessmacher. But Parker Posey was game. She was charming, she was funny, and she had a lot of energy, so to give credit where credit is due, making Kitty Kowalski a very likable, was she a villain? Ah, I wouldn't even call her an antagonist. I mean, she's just Lex's uh, uh, sidekick, and, um, you know, just doing doing what he says, and, you know, probably, probably a little bit of a gold digger uh, there, you could say, but I, I did... It, legitimately enjoy the, the Kitty Kowalski character and Parker and Parker's a great actress. So yeah. Indeed she is. And it seems like she was the one who was probably having the most fun on this film. Yeah. I find Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to other people, but yeah. And, and to your point of her being a, a gold digger, I think it's probably fair to a fair comment to make because I believe we meet her right at the top of the film where she was apparently working for the old yes. heiress for which, uh, basically, I guess, uh, Lex had seduced and now ran away with her money. But I think, I mean, as much as I think Parker did a great job with what she was given, it did seem a little bit of a retread of the Miss Test Marker story, because mm -hmm. even there, you had a, should we say, sidekick, main squeeze, call her what you want when it came to this, to, to her relationship with Lex. But at first, you know, she's all gung-ho and she's like, oh, yeah, let's do this. This guy's got money and power. I'm going to have, you know, all the cool stuff. But when she actually realizes that Lex is even more psychopathic and more evil than she even thought, she's kind of having second thoughts, which is very similar to what we'd seen um, Valerie Perrine do with, with the, the character of yeah. Miss Tessmarker, where she almost feels pity for Superman and feels worried about him. And, this, and Kitty goes through exactly the same motions because... I believe when um, Superman confronts Lex on the island he's created, she's literally looking on in horror when he's about to die and even when they take the plane and such. So she does, she's definitely, I'm sure, redeemed and is not a bad person, but realizes she's made bad decisions. And she's like, um, I probably am on the wrong side here. And this guy, I probably should dump him as soon as I get the chance. But she's almost trapped because she's like, if I leave, will he come after me? So it's I think she's she finds herself in a sticky situation to where it's like she's bitten off more than she can chew. And she since she knows her boyfriend in inverted commas is a psychopath, she's probably afraid to leave him for that reason. And that's why. I believe at the end she finds herself stranded on, on the island with him, and it's not going to be good times, I think, for Kitty, but I guess she'll probably make the best of it. So let's get to our big bad then. 
oh, sadly also a big bad in real life, Kevin yeah. Spacey as Lex Luthor. So, Greg, you know, last time we talked about you know Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. What did you make of Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor? Well, Kevin uh, clearly did not, um, and nor do I think they wanted. With, with Superman, um, they certainly, you know, picked, I, I think, the closest they could to Christopher Reeve and for Brandon to do his own thing, but to emulate Christopher Reeve. Uh, in the case of Kevin's Lex Luthor, I think he was the right Lex Luthor in the wrong Superman movie. Um, I think. He was he was he was so much more evil, you know, straightforward, I should say, than Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor, who was evil in a completely different way. I appreciated Kevin's um, uh, Lex Luthor very much, um, much much more uh, menacing of, uh, than than Hackman's. But every scene he's in is boring <laughs> to me, and. Uh, and yeah, um, I, I mean, he, he's he's the right Lex Luthor, but just yeah, just not the right, not in the right Superman movie, you know. So do you think That's maybe he I just? So you think maybe yeah. he wasn't given a decent story arc, or he was just kind of served with a bad script? Do you think that's maybe more the case? Yes, yes, very much because he he, uh, he obviously really really created a wonderful Lex Luthor. He really did. Um, I, I really love what he did with the character. But yeah, the script wasn't good. And his plan is not really ever clear, if you ask me. Maybe that's a little bit of a, of a, of a attention deficit disorder problem, but it's never really made clear what Lex is doing. He's just messing things up. <laughs> and wants Superman out of the way. Yeah. And and now I have to ask you then, since you said he's the right Lex Luthor in the wrong movie, would you have mm. liked to have seen him as Lex Luthor in, say, Batman v Superman? Well, Over I, Jesse I Eisenberg? Oh, I, I certainly would. But you should know that I drew the line after Man of Steel, and I was done, and I never watched Batman vs. Superman, Justice League, any of that stuff. I, because I was just so done after Man of Steel, but I guess that's for a different podcast. Um, but yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can't comment on Jesse's uh, performance because I didn't watch it. Obviously, I thought it was a it was a miscast, but I can't comment on it because I didn't see what they did. Obviously, they were going in another direction in another way. I, 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 I'll never know because I guarantee you I'll never get to watching that movie. <laughs> well, fair, fair enough. And yeah. Devin, what did you make of this Lex Luthor? Okay. Hmm. I can't say I'm really a Kevin Spacey fan, honestly. I got to be honest. Every movie I've tried to watch him in, I've fallen asleep watching it. <laughs> Um, hopefully he's not listening to this because like, I don't want to bash him or anything. I guarantee you he's he, not. Go ahead. Good. <laughs> because Kevin Spacey as a villain, oh my god, that is horrible. Like, anybody else, anybody else, please take his, his spot in this movie because this, this is not the right person for this role. Um, and, I mean, to me, like, I, he tried, but there's just, again, the scenes are incredibly boring. There's yes. no, you know, there's, there's not, like, any point to, like, some of the things that he's talking about in some of the scenes. And even if you rewind it and if you try to rewatch it, you still fall asleep because it's still boring. <laughs> so, to me, like, Gene Hackman, to me, is... The, the ultimate Lex Luthor, like Lex Luthor, like I mean, that's just who I feel like is that character. And Kevin Spacey tried, but to me, he's just a boring actor. And I'm sorry, like 
<laughs> it's it's totally cool and i mean i know also you've seen batman v superman would you so i guess at this point if you your dislike of kevin spacey so you're happy with jesse eisenberg as lex luther in that film yes i i yeah i have no problems whatsoever with that because kevin spacey to me is just not good in a villain role like you can't do that i mean it, it just doesn't do me any good to try to rewind a scene over and over again when I already know that it's going to be boring. That's how, that's how I feel about his acting in this movie. <laughs> well, I, and here, here though is the thing. I mean, cause I, on, you know, on the other hand, I do enjoy what Kevin Spacey has done. Not a big fan of course, of Kevin Spacey, the man, but uh, when it comes to, to some of the films he's done, I mean, I, I actually, I believe my first introduction to Kevin Spacey was actually on American Beauty, which I thought was that he did a fabulous yeah. job in. And it yeah. breaks yep. my I heart. And it, and it breaks my heart knowing what we know about Kevin's, you know, should we say, day-to-day -day life. Because right. when I saw that film, and, and when I will have to rewatch it for another podcast that I'm doing, I'm sure it's going to break my heart to watch Kevin play such a fabulous role, knowing what the guy is like. But when it came to this Lex Luthor, I, I believe kind of like what um, Brandon Ralph had done with, with Superman and Clark Kent, I believe he was trying to somewhat take a cue from what Gene Hackman had given us, because there are some of the mannerisms and some of the ways that Lex carries himself, which are very similar to what we'd seen Gene Hackman do. You know, obviously the the enormous ego and the fact that he always considers himself the smartest guy in the room and just the crazy plans because they left the whole obsession that he has with land, which obviously connects it to the previous four uh, Superman films. So I guess they carried that through. But yeah, I guess at the same time, he does a lot of talking and a lot of like, I'm the greatest, I will defeat you, Superman. I've got land and everything else. So, so he, I mean, it's very grandiose the way he does it. But when it comes to the crunch and when we finally see the showdown between Superman and Lex, he doesn't really do much in the sense that it's basically his goons who beat up Superman and the kryptonite pretty much does the rest. And Lex just kind of watches on in glee. It would have almost been... I guess, nice or more entertaining, if you will, to have had Lex actually get into the, the Lex suit and maybe to have a little bit of a you know showdown with, with Superman there. But I think maybe Kevin Spacey would look a little bit ridiculous in the, in the Lex Luthor armor. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's why they didn't go that route. But all in all, I, I will grudgingly say Kevin did a great job actorially. Yeah, this, he was just, it just wasn't written too well. It almost seemed, once again, like a retread of what we'd already seen in previous Superman movies. It didn't do much to make him more interesting. There might have been a little bit more of a psychopathic edge to him, which, as you were saying, Greg, uh, Gene Hackman didn't have. This was maybe a darker, right. scarier Lex Luthor. But yeah, yeah that, that's it's essentially uh, the more more menacing and, and much more evil. But not that Gene Hackman, I mean, Gene Hackman was no slouch. Gene Hackman created a Lex Luthor, just as Christopher Reeve created a brand new Clark Kent and Superman, for that matter. Uh, Gene Hackman did that with Lex Luthor. Absolutely. He, he did. I mean, because at the same time, I guess Gene Hackman was almost more clownish, if you will, you know, in the sense that he almost reminded me, if you will, of, uh, of uh, Cesar Romero's version of the Joker compared to, say, <laughs> the way Heath Ledger played him. That's the kind of differences yeah. I saw. I mean, they're both. Yeah, it, yeah. They're both, yeah. they're both serviceable jokers in their own right. They're both totally fine. I love what Cesar Romero did and I love what Heath Ledger did, but for different reasons. And that's yeah. why I think, I think that was kind of what was going through my mind when I saw this, like, oh, okay, I see what they want to do. It's like 2006. We have to make this guy creepy because that's yeah. what it's all about. If I could just, um, in, in terms of uh, Devin's opinion of Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor, I, I, there's a thing that Hollywood does that, it, you know, you have a product like Superman, just they, they could have, they did take a cue from 1978 and put an unknown as Superman with Brandon Routh, but Lex Luthor, I guess Hollywood felt, I mean, Singer and Spacey, what a surprise, had a personal relationship. <laughs> just did the usual suspects together. Um, and I guess he, he might've offered it to Spacey or something, but I don't imagine the studio and, and the studios still do this today. 
you don't necessarily need a huge star to play characters like this. People would still go to see these movies. Like, if you take someone as brilliant as a John Glover and put him as Lex Luthor, people are still going to go see the movie. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like it, Kevin Spacey's presence or not. And, you know, again, you know, you had Kate Bosworth, the It Girl at the time, James Marsden's career going up. So there was a lot of Hollywood, ooh, we have to throw them in here for the box office when uh, it, it kind of bit them in the ass in the end. Mm. A very high-grossing film, but I don't find it to be very... It didn't age well in, in, in from what I've observed. And, of course, there was only one of them and, and that it didn't actually make as much as they wanted it to, you know. Yeah, because to my point, you know, it, you know, it was 19 years since anybody had touched this franchise. And so you think, yeah. oh, it's the big return of a character like Superman. You know, it's bound to do well, right? But I'm, I don't think the studios were, you know, I'm sure they probably had set their sights for something even higher. And if you think about it, then it would have been, I think, seven more years or before we even got Man of Steel, which obviously came out in 2013. Right. So I guess once again, we're like, eh, maybe this doesn't work. Let's leave Superman cinematically alone for a while. And then, of course, I believe they did um, Lois and Clark and everything else in the meantime. But, uh, or, or, or should we say Superman was more confined to the TV scene, TV screen. And then there was yeah. like, okay, let's do Man of Steel in 2013. And, you know, that did what it did. So, uh, guys, did, before we get to ratings, did either of you have any, any other thoughts you wanted to, to express when it came to this film? I would like for this movie to be redone, honestly, because I feel like now we're at a point where we can actually look into younger actors and actresses to maybe redo this movie in the correct way it should have been done. Um, I'm just saying, like, as, as a Superman fan, I was a little bit kind of disappointed in Superman Returns. I mean, but uh, uh, so I'm assuming then, uh, Devin, that you're not a particular fan of the uh, the latest Superman outing. So with Henry Cavill and what Cavill has brought to the character. No, <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm, I'm retired on that. I don't want to watch that. No, I'm good. <laughs> OK. And Greg, did you have any any uh, other thoughts when it came to this film? I am, I am so with Devin on that. And like I said, I gave up after Man of Steel. I was done. I was just done. And uh, believe it or not, I'm not a huge on Marvel. Um, that's probably a shocker for both of you. But uh, yeah, Superman Returns missed the mark. Um, what the studio actually wanted at first, but Singer convinced them otherwise, was to do essentially what they did uh, in 2013 with Man of Steel. They, they wanted him to just reinvent, redo it, re, you know, restart, you know, uh, like they did with Man of Steel. But he gave us Superman Returns. Um, and I just, I'm sorry, I just don't see a point for Superman Returns to exist. <laughs> uh, it, they couldn't live, leave well enough alone. <laughs> I did not enjoy this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's see how that reflects when it comes to ratings then. Because, Greg, you're up, and what do you give Superman Returns out of 10? Well, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I did change my prior rating. In my prior rating, I checked on IMDb for what I did give it between 1 and 10, and I literally gave it a 1. Wow. But I changed it to a 4. And I gave Superman four. Superman four gets a four too, but that's a high four because that's a good bad movie. But Superman return and it's fun. You can still smile from ear to ear and enjoy it. But Superman Returns is just plain out boring and abysmal. So I give it a four, and I was probably being polite with it, but I took some of the respect as little as there was that I had for some of it, and said, "Okay, give it a four because it's not like it's a." you know action sequences of people like action sequences are good i mean it's all action sequences it's all style over substance but i said eh, i guess it doesn't deserve a one so i gave it a four but a low four <laughs> <laughs> well would you at least say it's a good time if you are consuming adult beverages watching this 
No, that's do that with Superman four. Don't even do that with Superman Returns. It'll just end up <laughs> on in the background as you're as you're having your beverages. <laughs> well, it might make you even angrier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it might have the opposite effect rather than make the evening more entertaining. And Devin, what do you give this film? Oh, brother, brother, brother. Uh, <laughs> I am going to give this a three point eight. Ooh. Um, it tries, but it epically fails horribly bad. Mostly because of Kevin Spacey. That's part of the reason why. Um, the action scenes I have no problem with. I actually enjoy the action scenes. It's just the other stuff, like the drama and the love romance and all that stuff. Could do without it. Um... Yeah, three point eight. That's that's about all I'm gonna get gonna give it. So, well, I guess then I'm gonna have to be the more generous judge in this case because I'm gonna at least give this a passing grade. I'm gonna give this a six out of ten because I suppose being the huge fan that I am of Superman and loving the character as much as I do. It's hard for me to, 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 to not give it a passing grade. I kind of feel the same way. And I believe I said something similar when we did uh, reviewed Batman and Robin on this on this show. As much as that film is so problematic, you know, it just isn't even funny. I think this uh, <laughs> I think th this one, I think, also, though, deserves a, it's, it's a six out of ten because, hey, it's Superman. And if you do want to see better special effects coming off of Superman 4, then you will get them. But also to Greg's point, it is more style of a substance. So because the, the flying scenes are pretty cool, they, they do, I think, hold up. And then some of the other stuff is, is decent. But uh, as a general story, yeah, it's kind of a filler story. It's like, OK, you have no other Superman movies to watch. You can watch this because you get your feel of Superman. The Jason storyline was very weird. It makes no sense. So, yeah, just because it's Superman, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. So let's get at recommendations then. Devin, uh, for those who might have enjoyed this film or might want to you know, explore things in within this sort of realm, what would you suggest folks check, check out? Well, <clears throat> honestly, I, I would just check out the first four Superman movies. And then I would also get into, you know... Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman, and read some of the original Superman comic books because a lot of people haven't even read those. And the death of the death of Superman is also a very good series. Um, yeah, I would just go with that. Great stuff for sure. And yeah, folks, you, you you always get great Superman stories, of course, from the source material. The comics are where, of course, this character comes from. And Greg, what would you recommend? May I make two recommendations? You certainly can. Okay. Well, the very underused Mr. Frank Langella, who I think was very game as Perry White. So he, he wasn't one of our subjects here, but I thought Frank Langella did an admirable, jo admirable job as Perry White. So the first thing I'll, I'll recommend with to see Frank Langella, it's like a master class in acting, is the movie Robot and Frank. I don't know if either of you saw Robot and Frank. Um, and that's, it's, it's, it's a wonderful film, uh, about, um, well, no spoilers, just it, it's, it's Frank Langella in an acting performance that's just, it's like an acting 101 lesson. It takes place. It's the not too distant future. It takes place in, and a man gets, this is not spoiling it. A man gets a robot helper. And it's the relationship that ensues from there. And it's just a, it's a beautiful film. The second recommendation I would give is because Frank Langella is in it. Um, but I have a personal connection to it. Um, uh, the 12 chairs is Mel Brooks's second movie. There was the producers, there was the 12 chairs, there was blazing saddles. And obviously the 12 chairs is sort of like the black sheep of Mel Brooks movies. Nobody's ever heard of it. It might not be his best, but the villain in the film's name is Vorob Yanioff, and Mel Brooks based the character on my great-grandfather, and that's how his name is Vorob Yanioff. So, Frank Langella is the lead of that movie, but Ron Moody plays the antagonist, Vorob Yanioff, 
And apparently, according to my late father, it was a very good depiction of my late great grandfather. <laughs> wow. Well, hey, and to be played by Ron Moody, I think that's a huge yes. compliment. You know what um, I mean? Yes, the great Ron Moody played uh, uh, my great grandfather. Obviously, there's a whole story behind it, but that would be for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, I, and actually, Greg, uh, Greg, I was going to chime in. Um, I've actually seen that movie. Huh? And and um, thumbs up. I like that movie. I've seen it back yeah. seven times. Yeah, it's a very, if you're a Mel Brooks fan, it, it seems to be his forgotten movie because of you know, of course, it was between two legendary ones, and then he chose to do an adaptation of a Russian tale with the second one. But uh, yeah, uh, Vorab Yanyov was all, uh, I am Greg Vorab, and Vorab Yanyov was all Sam Vorab. That is my middle name, Samuel. I am named after the antagonist, <laughs> the real life <laughs> antagonist of the 12 chairs, Vorab Yanyov. So I have a personal connection to it. And Frank Langella is the lead of that movie. Um, and what the hell, watch Masters of the Universe just because Frank Langella loved playing Skeletor. And of course, that's another uh, fun canon film for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that because I sometimes get, should we say, laughed out of the room when I say that one of my favorite performances of Frank Langella is actually as Skeletor. Because I was like, that's what you remember from? Like, Hell yes, he was like the ultimate skeleton. So. Oh, he sunk his teeth into it, and he did it, I think, for his son, one of his children, I think. Wanted him so bad to take Skeletor, and he took it, and he he always talks about it. It's one of his favorite roles, and then he had a ball with it. Despite <laughs> so, what the movie was. Yeah. I, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, and, and thank you for bringing that up indeed, Greg. And yeah, going back to the, the, the comics here, folks, I, I, one, to Devin's point, definitely check out some of the series that are out there now, especially the latest one, which I think is really, really good, which is Superman and Lois, which I think is really, really well done. The, the production values are excellent. You have Tyler Hecklin as Superman and Clark Kent, who does a fabulous job as that role. So definitely check out Superman and Lois. And when it comes to the comics, if you want to find out more about Superman Returns, check out Superman Returns, the prequels. These prequels actually give glimpses of the same five years in the lives of the three most important people in Superman's life. So in the first, we have Martha Kent reminiscing about Clark's formative years. In the film, it was shown, but it like made no sense because you had this kid running around like, What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> in the second issue, you have Lex Luthor biding his time in prison, nursing a grudge and re vowing revenge for Superman's theft of five years of his life. And the final episode shows Lois Lane, heart in turmoil, pressed to write another article about the Man of Steel. And she wants to move on. And she writes, of course, the story that earns her the Pulitzer. So this story has various creators who draw dialogue, visuals, visuals and incidents from the 1978 Superman movie, linking the new film to its predecessors, except for most of the disappointing third and fourth ones. These stories are so well told, and I think are very necessary to the Superman mythos in general. So it should interest you fans of the movies in particular. So, dear listeners, if you want to be, of course, like the wonderful Devin and the amazing Greg and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email, happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. You can follow us on Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast and feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. There you'll be able to pick films that go outside of what are considered regular superhero movies or even just films inside inspired by comics like 300 or Road to Perdition or I Kill Giants, or even films which inspired comics like Aliens, Robocop, Terminator, and more. Check all that out and join our fabulous army of patrons. Visit patreon.com slash happiness in darkness. And a big, big thank you to all our wonderful patrons out there. So guys, when it comes to you and what you do, where can our fine listeners find you on the interwebs? Let's start with you, Greg. Where can folks find you? All right. You can find me on my own podcast page on Twitter at MSV Podcast One. Why is there a one after it? Because there was at one time another MSV Podcast. But we are MSV Podcast at MSV Podcast One on Twitter. Of course, there's the link to our show right there on Twitter. 
and we start our second season with a brand new format and approach next week. One week from today, October 24th, John and I return for a triumphant second and final season of MSV podcast. So please join us. And if you were just not into the politics of season one, talking about politics, maybe they'll be sprinkled in there somewhere in here. But this is a completely new format, new approach. And we're really looking forward to it. And that starts next week. Well, I'm definitely excited for season two indeed. And Devin, where can folks find you? Well, on here once in a while, actually. I've been on here, I think, at least three times, I think, so far. And I, I appreciate that, Nick, and I'm having a lot of fun. Um, I also host the morning show with Angie on 502 Fallen Angel Radio here. Um, I'm also a musician. I'm working on my own music right now. I've been writing and starting to record some new stuff uh, for the first time since 2012. Um, <clears throat> I'm also going to be doing more podcasts with some other people in the future. Um, and... I am going to be reviewing Halloween Kills actually tomorrow on my YouTube channel. I'll be uploading that video. Oh, very, very nice. And I actually really enjoyed the soundtrack to that. Being a big fan of the band Ghost, of course, from uh, Scandinavia, they they have a great song, uh, Hunter's Moon, which I absolutely love, which is taken from that soundtrack. So I'm looking forward to that indeed, Devin. And when it comes to me, for you, speaking of music, for you country music lovers, I do host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes. We play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more info about that and where to tune in, visit our website, whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you also check out our other project, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where with the lovely ladies, Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend, we're reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. And of course, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And speaking of superhero TV shows, you can find myself and Charles Skaggs discussing those on the Fandom Zone podcast and also discussing the latest seasons of Titans and Doom Patrol on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast. And speaking of things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 2009 Gavin Hood film, X-Men Origins, Wolverine. <laughs> that said, when it comes to you guys, of course, I, I look forward to having you back here on Happiness and Darkness very soon. And of course, I want to thank you both very, very much for joining me today. It was a pleasure thank and an honor. honor for me. Yes. Yeah, awesome. I, I love doing shows with both of you. Oh, well, gentlemen, the, the pleasure is definitely mine. So, folks, thanks as always for this show and supporting us. We will see you next time with X-Men Origins Wolverine. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.